I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Welcome into the Jazz Notes podcast. I'm your host, Ben Anderson. Uh, kind of a short episode today. I'm going to let you hear from Holly Rowe as she joined Jake Scott and I uh, this morning on the Jake and Ben show on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, talking about the Utah Jazz as well as her first venture as the first female broadcast analyst uh, in Utah Jazz television history. So that was fun to talk about. So here's my conversation with Holly Rowe and Jake Scott from earlier today, including a breakdown of what happened uh, before Friday's game. Um, okay, so I need to talk to you guys about this because <laughs> I don't know if anyone really understands what happened, and it was absolutely chaotic. Um, so did you guys hear about the whole issue with Sky West this weekend yes. and flights? Yes. Yeah. So that happened to me, and I was four hours late to the Jazz game, and I missed the first quarter. So um, please don't everybody be mad at me. I literally moved heaven and earth to get there, ran through the airport in Sacramento, paid my Lyft driver an extra 50 bucks to speed and get me there faster. So it was <laughs> chaos. So please don't judge me on this first broadcast there. Um, cause, uh, it was all I could do just to get there. Now, Holly's way better at this than we are. But Jake, you've experienced this. If you're late to a show or you late to show up for a segment, it's so hard to catch up for the rest of the show. Yeah. If you don't feel like you get your adequate prep time, it's so hard to get that rhythm yeah. back. And Holly, I thought when you stepped in, you sounded brilliant. So congratulations. And before we get to the game, I do want to ask you this because I, I, we always talk about, you know, the ability to kind of, you know, shatter these ceilings and be the first to do something. Did you think that was going to be your burden when you got into the business? I mean, you, you came through Utah. You've done all these incredible things in your career. Was that what you were signing up for? Did you want to say, hey, I want to do the first to do all these things? Or did you just say, hey, I want to have a career and these things have just come along with it? I didn't think about it, to be honest with you. So I know this sounds weird, and I probably should have had a more feminist attitude, but I've always been like, I don't know, when I was growing up, I would always play with the boys. You know, we called us tomboys back in the day, and I just kind of always wanted to be one of the boys because I loved sports, and that was just kind of how genders associated with sports back then. But I've never conscientiously been like, oh, I'm going to do this because I'm a woman. Like, I'm just a sports fan. Like, I'm a football fan, 
I'm a basketball fan. I'm a football reporter. I'm a basketball reporter. I never have let my gender make decisions for me, if that makes any sense. Um, and I kind of wish other people would go that way, too, because it's just like I, I grew up the same level of sports geekdom that you guys did, right? Just it, it's exactly the same. So, no, I don't think I set in to do it with breaking any glass ceilings or anything like that. But I will say this. Uh, my good friend Doris Burke, who has shattered a, a huge amount of glass ceilings, you know, she's a full-time analyst on the NBA for ESPN. She's done the finals. She's probably the best basketball announcer I know. And she has said that we do bear a great responsibility for, for young women who come behind us. And so we have to conduct ourselves in a certain way, and we have to push for things because we're doing it for the next generation. And I do take that very seriously, and I know that is important. So I guess, I guess it goes both ways, right? It's interesting. Well, let's get into the basketball, shall we, Holly? Give us yeah. your, your kind of initial thoughts about uh, this Utah Jazz team a couple of games in. Yeah, it's really interesting because the first two games that we've done in the regular season, you know, we did opening night on, on Wednesday, and they looked unbelievable. Now, listen, it's against Oklahoma City, who's you know playing a really young roster, and it's a different type of opponent. And then the Kings game was totally different. And as I sat there watching, I, I had a couple of thoughts. Number one, I didn't think Utah's ball movement and energy was great in the game against Sacramento. And then I really started digging into the whys of that. And it's because Sacramento played awesome defense. I don't know if you guys appreciated the level of Davion Mitchell's disruption and congestion on every single person he guarded. I saw somebody from Sacramento put out a tweet that, you know, they went back and looked at every defensive possession he had and all of the different people that he was defending at different points in that game. It wasn't just Donovan Mitchell. It was a lot of different guys. He only gave up 20 points collectively and forced people to shoot 26% or lower. So I think it's really interesting, the defensive effort of Sacramento and it made things difficult for the Jazz but they came together and, and got it together when it mattered. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly impressive because as you mentioned Sacramento was so good defensively and Davion Mitchell was was certainly kind of the the, the key piece in that. But then the Jazz late, they just, you know, they never panicked and, and this is a team that as we've watched for so long late in games just hasn't executed as well and sometimes they've had to default to trying to play you know hero ball remember that I mean that was a huge conversation about Donovan Mitchell in the last couple of years is the idea that hey sometimes he would take horrendous shots and look he had a wide open three in the corner late in that game and Holly was on that incredible possession where you said Mike Wells was heckling you from the sidelines where yeah. <laughs> Rudy Gobert blows up the lob attempt runs the floor Mike Conley ends up with the ball it gets passed around you know Donovan Mitchell touched it on a later possession Royce O'Neal throws the lob I mean all the way the Jazz were unselfish in that game to get everyone involved, to get touches, and win by finding better baskets. I thought that was incredibly impressive. Yeah, I think so, too. And listen, I had a really interesting conversation with Quinn Snyder about this very thing because their offense is based on reading the defense, reading and reacting, right? And so sometimes, um, we, you know, that, that might have been called hero ball in the past, but in this new formation of the offense for the Utah Jazz, he wants people to read and react and react to what the defense is doing and if that means you're taking shots that might be out of your wheelhouse or that you might think, are like, oh, I don't want to take this. I don't want to be selfish. He's trying to condition his guys like, if you don't take it, you're being selfish to the team because you're reading what the defense is giving you. You've got to take those shots. If that's what the defense is giving, that's what you take. So I think as we go along and as I get to know the team better and we get to know, you know, the kind of this version of the team, I think that's something really interesting to keep our eyes on is – 
the passes late, the movement of the ball, who's doing what when, is going to be predicated on what they're reading. And I think that's important to remember. Holly Rowe is with us here on 97.5 and, and 1280 The Zone. And uh, Holly, I'm, I'm curious for your take on, on Rudy Gobert overall, because when I hear, uh, you know, national media figures or well, let's just say Shaq last year, uh, for an example, when they talk about uh, Rudy Gobert, it's almost like I get the feeling that uh, some of these guys are, are kind of drive by watching jazz games and don't exactly give the proper amount of value to just how much he changes every single game that he plays in and how the other team has to change entirely what they do. I mean, give the Clippers credit last year in the in the playoffs uh, for getting the win over the Jazz, but they had to completely alter what they did as a team in order to get that done because of Rudy Gobert. So I'm curious, you talk to a lot of national figures out there, a lot of people in the sports world. What do you tell them when you talk about Rudy? So, number one, I think he is the most underrated and underappreciated big man in the league nationally. Right? You guys saw the GM survey where he's not even on the list. And listen, there's good big men on the list ahead of him, don't get me wrong, but I do think there's something to be said with watching him night in and night out and possession by possession. I have yet to see, except for when he was sitting on his behind arguing a call this last game, um, him take a play off. I don't see him take plays off. I don't see him rest on plays. Um, do you know how hard that is to do at 7-1? Do you know just the physics behind the math he's moving it's really intriguing, and I actually got obsessed with Rudy Gobert about four years ago. Um, I was here in town. I went to a playoff game with my sister, and I hadn't seen a ton of Rudy at this point, um, you know, just because I'd been living in California while I was going through my cancer treatments out there. And I get back, I go to this playoff game, and I'm like, holy bleep, this guy's unbelievable. <laughs> like, I, I just have an appreciation for subtle things in a game He moves his feet. He can get out and hard hedge and get back and rim protect quicker than any 7-1 person I've ever seen in my life. Like, do you guys remember old clips of Mark Eaton? Do you remember old clips of Greg Ostertag? Like, if we were to put stuff side by side, and I think I've just given myself a great idea for our next jazz broadcast. All right. Being productive. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think we appreciate the quickness that he is able to get around on the court and and what he is able to protect defensively just from a space place. So I, I'm I'm kind of obsessed with him. I'm obsessed with how he's able to get all this done at his size. I'm also really intrigued with his personality because I get it that the Utah fans and people maybe have had kind of a love-hate relationship with him. Get over it. I think this kid's amazing. I think he is bringing something that we haven't had. I, I think people need to get, get behind him, embrace him, because he is rare and special and unique. So what if we just turned the page and everybody could just start looking at all the things he's doing well? It, it's really impressive to me. Right, Holly, your other job this weekend, which is one of several, uh, we know you were at UCLA and Oregon, and the Utes are playing UCLA coming up this weekend. What did you see? And you, you actually spent quite a bit of t- uh, time with that team this weekend. Yeah, I had a great time out at LA. I really got to be around campus, get to know their kids and their players really well. Um, I was so sad in one respect because I was kind of thinking, well, if UCLA wins and Utah wins, maybe we would get a chance to have that game because it would be a big, huge game. But things didn't work out in either case that way. But uh, UCLA is really good. Their offensive line is the best they've had there for years. Here's some things, though, is their their quarterback, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who, by the way, I was I went in there thinking he was one type of kid and kind of Hollywood, me, self-absorbed type of kid. 
I was so impressed with him. I really loved meeting with him. He is a deep, interesting, introspective, multi-interest, you know, variety of interest type of kid. He's a really beautiful human being. I was impressed with CTR. He got his, you know what, kicked (laughs) by Oregon. They, uh, Noah Sewell, who you guys know from Utah, he played in Provo. Panay Sewell's younger brother is a linebacker for Oregon, and, and, and he was basically in his lap all day. He got so banged up. I'm really curious to see how he's able to play and if he's able to play against Utah because he took a beating from the Oregon Ducks. So I think that's something interesting to keep your eyes out for. But UCLA's good. I know their record's not going to reflect it, but I think Utah better be on high alert. I think UCLA's a really good football team. Holly, thank you so much for jumping on the show. We're really enjoying the broadcast so far, so can't wait to uh, watch the rest of the year. Thank you very much. All right. Hey, thanks, guys. Don't judge me on Friday. That was chaos <laughs> and very hectic, and I was just lucky to get there, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting even better going forward. It's like planes, trains, and automobiles. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, right. You're great, Holly. Thanks. Thanks, Holly. Thanks. There she was, Holly Rowe. Big thanks to Holly for jumping on uh, with Jake Scott and myself on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, 10 to noon every day, so make sure you uh, find us there. You can download our podcasts at the uh, Zone Sports Network online. Uh, Find me on Twitter at Ben's Hoops. Read me at kslsports.com, and we'll be back with you uh, another episode coming up later this week. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.